have a great message. It's called um, Moving Forward Requires Movement. Are you ready for it? Because that's all I got now. I'm like, man, can we just talk about that some more? No, but I feel like I really have something he wants to say. Um, let's get right into the word. Ephesians 6, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11 through 14. This is a very familiar passage of scripture. The armor of God, right? It reads like this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of the dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. Stand. Paul likes that word, doesn't he? Stand firm then. We're going to stop right there. Stand firm then. I love Ephesians 6, don't you? We talk about the armor of God. We put it up in our bathrooms, the helmet of salvation, the belts of truth. And, and man, we know it like the back of our hand. But, man, we still seem to fall a little short. We keep fighting the same battles over and over and over. Is it because we don't know the armor of God? No, we're well acquainted with it. But maybe we're not wearing it. Maybe we're not wearing it. Maybe that's it. This is just a disclaimer. If living the abundant life was a cakewalk, every believer would be doing it. Right? Everybody would be doing it. But it's not. Jesus said, I came so that. Anytime Jesus says, I came so that, open up your ears because you want to hear what he's about to say. And he said, I came so that you might have life and have it to the full, abundant life, right? But this is the deal. Everything that Jesus came for, the devil is coming for. Everything he came for, the devil's coming for. He says you can have peace, the devil's coming for your peace. He says you can have hope, the devil's coming for your hope. He says you can have patience, oh, guess what he's coming for? He's coming for your patience. Because everything that Jesus came for, he's coming for. Everything Jesus gives us, the devil tries to steal. But people who live from glory to glory and gain to gain aren't just sitting on their couch watching Netflix for 12 hours a day. They're not making deals with the devil. I love it when Philip said that on Sunday. Oh, y'all, y'all think I'm loud. Now I almost jumped up off. I was like, come on, right? Because that's the truth. We look at those people, oh, I want that life. But I'm going to tell you something. They're not making deals with the devil. No, that's not what they're doing. They aren't letting life happen, and they're not taking it as it comes at them. They aren't settling for the status quo. They are prepared and determined. They are confident in their God. So no matter what happens, setbacks, failures, unexpected troubles, they keep getting up and putting one foot in front of the other, gaining ground, moving forward, day after day after day. But here's their secret. They got tired of losing one day. Yeah, 
They didn't get saved one day and then just walk into everything that God had for them. No, they, they tripped. They fell. They stumbled. They struggled. And then one day they said, hold up, wait a minute. If all this Jesus stuff is true, then I don't have to do this anymore. They just got fed up, and they just started believing what God said. And, man, I wish someone had told me that it wasn't going to be a cakewalk. Because I remember one of my favorite songs we sing was, I'm free. And I would just be like, yeah, I'm free. And Dale says, when I used to sing that song, he'd be like, oh, she's so beautiful up there in the choir. You know, anyway, long story. But um, hey, whatever it takes, I'm free, okay? I'm free, I'm free. And I was free. I was saved. All of that was true. But oh, my thought life, it was all the way messed up. The way I lived to please people so that I could be validated, wanted, and loved, um, we were going to have to deal with that. The way I depended on men to make me feel whole and complete, that wasn't going to fly anymore. I was free. I was saved. I was headed for heaven. But what I didn't understand, that, what, that I was going to have to press, I mean really strive, and fight past all my insecurities, my past failures, my labels, my emotions, if I was going to possess the full and abundant life for which Jesus was calling me to live here and now. And you are too. Paul understood this, and he wanted us to as well. In Philippians 3, 12 through 14, he writes, and this is, I love this, because he's speaking about himself. He's not just talking to us, he's speaking about himself. He says, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but this is what I do. I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. Just in case you weren't listening, no, dear brothers, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Paul said he had to press to possess all that God had for him. And he had a lot to press past, if you know a little bit about Paul. I mean, he was the one making sure the Christians got killed, right? He was the one that was so zealous for God that he would go to other towns, to hunt Christians down. He thought he was serving God. It makes me emotional because I try to think about Paul for a second. We like to talk about who he was before, but do you understand he loved God with all of his heart? He thought he was doing the right thing. And he even had to press past that because he had a conception of God that was all wrong. Can you imagine dedicating your life to the study of the word and then you're told in a, in a oh my goodness, someone knocks you down with a light and says, uh, just kidding, everything you think you know, you learn in kindergarten. Like that don't even exist anymore. That's crazy. But he, had to, he knew he had to press past that too. He had a lot to press past. And if he had to do it, the apostle Paul, whom which we would not have the complete canon, right? then make no mistake, we will too. And that press includes a full-blown battle for all the ground we will take from now until we see Jesus. 
When he wrote Philippians and Ephesians, he was writing to thriving, growing churches full of believers. He was writing to us. The the letter to the Ephesians is amazing. It's so good. In the beginning, he's like, this is who you are. And then kind of in the middle, this is what you can do. And then at the end, he says, but just in case you were wondering, you're not just going to dance into that thing. It's going to be a fight. And before Paul lists the armor that most of us are so well acquainted with, he gives them this command. Stand firm then. These are the three words you need to know if you're going to move forward. Moving forward is a choice, right? Isn't that what Pastor Philip was really saying? It's a choice that every believer, no matter their tenure, don't think that our elders don't have to make this decision day after day after day. Don't think that your pastors don't have to make this decision day after day after day. The first thing we have to do is stand. That's our position. The definition of stand is a determined effort to, to resist or fight for something, to have or maintain an upright position supported by one's feet. I love both of those definitions because of the picture they paint. When we take a stand spiritually, we're literally having to determine to get up and fight, get up and resist. Get up and engage in battle. Get up and engage in life. Just life. So what keeps us from standing? How about apathy? A lack of concern. A lack of passion or emotion. To put it plainly, we just don't care. Now that's a hard word. But I'm going to tell you something. Standing in the face of adversity is going to take some passion and some concern. You have to determine that what you're fighting for actually matters. Your marriage matters. Your children matter. Your thought life matters. Your unforgiving heart matters. Your sanity matters, huh? Your purity matters. You're going to have to care. It's hard to hear, but it's true. When we want something bad enough, we will figure out a way to get it. I've always thought about writing a book. My poor husband, he hears all of this stuff a thousand times. All the things that don't matter that could fill a book. All the things we care about that don't matter. That we will run after, chase, cut corners to get. But when God says, I have something out here for you, but it's going to take a little effort, we go, um, I don't know, God. I don't know. If what you're fighting for doesn't matter, then you're not going to take a stand. What's another reason we don't stand? Just fear. Plain and simple. Dread, fright, alarm, panic, anxious concern. Fear paralyzes us with all the what ifs. What if it doesn't work? What if I do all this and my husband still leaves me? What if I forgive them and they hurt me again? What if? Another startling definition for fear is an unpleasant emotion caused by the belief that someone or something is dangerous, likely to cause us pain or a threat. Sometimes we're just afraid of the devil. We don't see him as he he already is, a defeated foe with limited power. 
a lion who is all roar. He ain't got no claws. He ain't got no teeth. He ain't nothing. But we don't see him like that. We hear that roar and we oh. But if we were to stare that fool down, then we'd know. Then we'd know. He's all roar. But sometimes, and this is the scariest thing, we don't stand because we are afraid of God. Our perception or perspective of him is skewed. What if he isn't who he says he is? What if he's a promise breaker? We ask ourselves, what if God doesn't come through? What if God doesn't want the best for me? And we're too afraid to even be honest about how we feel. In order to stand, you're going to have to get fed up with being afraid. When should we stand? When no one else will. Ask Joshua. Ask Nehemiah. Ask Elijah. Ask John the Baptist. Ask them all. There's all these millions of people and nobody will stand, so we just step. Here I am, God. That thing your family's been dealing with decade after decade, generation after generation, and no one has taken a stand for, guess who can do it? You. Yeah. When, when should we stand when we've had enough? I've been down this road before. I'm not going down it anymore. I've lived like this for long enough, and this is not okay. When should we stand when we don't feel like it? There's nothing like standing up to your fears and staring the devil in the face when you really feel like giving up. This is when you find out who your God is. That's it. A lot of you want to see God, but you won't get to that place where he can actually be God. Right? Right? Because I'm so, oh, God, I'm so, no, what, what about this? What about this? And he's like, just, just step out. Watch me show up. Watch that river stand up on its side. But we won't go there. Mm, 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 mm. We have to choose to stand. But how we stand and what we stand on is just as important as if we stand in the first place. We have to stand firm. Firm is our posture. Our knees are slightly bent. Ooh, our legs are ready. Posture, I'm ready. I'm ready. Definition of firm, securely or solidly fixed in place. Having a solid or compact structure that resists stress. Mmm. Mmm. Fully committed to achieving a goal. This is where we come face to face with what we really believe about God. If we're going to stand firm and move forward into all that God has for us, we are going to have to settle once and for all that God is who he says he is. Period. End of story. That's enough for me. We got to get there. The Bible tells us that God is love, right? 1 John 4, 16, we know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in his love. God is love love. And all who live in love live in God. Wow. And God lives in them. If this is true, we won't be moved when we feel abandoned and unloved. If he's really loved, then no matter how I feel, 
I'm not going to be moved. The Bible tells us that God is the rock. Ooh, I like it. Deuteronomy 32, 4. He is the rock. His works are perfect. And all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong. Wow. Upright and just is he. If this is true, I won't be moved when I feel wronged or confused about outcomes or circumstances. I won't get stuck at the why, God. No, I can't get stuck there because he is who he says he is. The Bible tells us that God is everlasting. Isaiah 40, 28 and 29. Have you never heard? Have you never understood? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. He never grows weak or weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. And if this is true, I won't be moved when things aren't happening on my timetable and I think God forgot his promise. God is who he says he is. If you're going to move forward and grow into all that God has for you, you better believe it. We not only need to be firm in our belief that God is who he says he is, we also have to be firm in our belief that God can do what he says he can do. Numbers 23, 19, God is not a man, thank you, God, so he does not lie. He is not human, so he does not change his mind, just in case you were wondering. Because I hear people say all the time, well, I guess God changed. No, it says he does not change his mind. He feels the same way about you he felt the first day. He'll feel that same way on the last day. And nothing you do in between is going to change that. He does not change his mind. You need to know it. Proverbs 35, this is one of my favorite scriptures to talk to myself about when I'm feeling a little shaky. Every word of God proves true. Every word. The Good News translation says, God keeps every promise he makes. He is like a shield for all who seek his protection. He keeps every promise he makes. But this is my favorite. Hebrews chapter 6, 13 through 18. In the Old Testament, God and Abraham, they, they cut a covenant and God didn't have anybody else who he could cut it by because nothing was higher than him. No one was higher than him. So he, he, he said, I'm going to make a promise and an oath. Crazy, right? The Bible says, now when people take an oath, they call on someone greater than themselves to hold them to it. And without any question, that oath is binding. So that's the natural God also bound himself with an oath so that those who received the promise, that's us, could be perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. So God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Wow. God has given both his promise and his oath. If this is all true, what keeps us from believing what God says? I like to think it's the oldest trick in the book. Genesis 3, verse 1 through 5. The oldest trick. 
The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? And then she talks back to him. And he says, oh, no, it's only the fruit from the tree. And then, well, excuse me, I'm sorry. He says, you must not eat it or even touch it if you will die. That's Eve. And then he says in verse 4, you won't die. God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. Remember, we're not just standing firm for something, but against someone. He is a, he is a lion with limited power. But he's a real adversary, and he's trying to get us off course. He's trying to keep us off kilter, and he moves us backwards instead of forwards. He comes in with things like this. Did God really say you don't have to worry about anything? Anything? I mean, your rent is due next week, and your money is funny, right? Did God really say to discipline your children? Discipline? I mean, they would probably like you a lot better if you just give them what they want. Did God really say if you look at a woman with lustful intent, you've already committed adultery? Adultery? I mean, you haven't done anything. It's not that big a deal. That's how he's coming at you. Did he really say? And we entertain it. And we say, like Eve, well, we talk back to him, right? Well, he said this, and he said that, and he says, oh, he's lying. He's keeping something from you. I have a truth that's even better than that. And without realizing it, we fall for the lie. And this is the question. Who will we believe? The father of lies or the God who cannot lie? Who will we believe? We have to decide that God can do what he said and that his word is absolutely 100% true. So we're standing and we're firm. Now we're ready for the battle. Then, then, then is the process. Ooh, man. Why, why, why does there have to be a process? After you've made the choice to stand and you've solidified your foundation, God is who he says he is and he can do what he says he can do, you're ready to possess the promise. Standing is key. Believing is essential. But if you don't commit to the growth process, you may as well be sitting down. Then. Then means after that. Next. Afterward. And then is where people get stuck. Then is when you have to doubt your doubt. Then is when you have to commit to your commitments. Then is waking up early every day to read your Bible so you can change your thought life. Then is respecting the husband that you don't feel love from. Then is forgiving your accusers ten different times in two hours. Lord. Then is when you let God work in you. Then is when you surrender. Then is when you realize that your enemy is real. He's scheming with plans to steal from you, destroy you, your dreams, your marriage, your children, and trick you into believing the lies that he speaks. Deuteronomy 20, verses 1 through 4 in the message. I love the way this reads. 
they were about to go into battle and, and they were getting some commands. And, and it reads, when you go to war against your enemy and see horses and chariots and soldiers far outnumbering you, do not recoil in fear of them. God, your God, who brought you up out of Egypt is with you. When the battle is about to begin, let the priest come forward and speak to the troops. He'll say, attention, Israel. In a few minutes, you're going to do battle with your enemies. Don't waver in resolve. Don't fear. Don't hesitate. Don't panic. God, your God, is right there with you, fighting with you against your enemies, fighting to win. Then is when you fully engage your enemy with all the armor that God provides and start taking ground in areas that you never dreamed. Then is when the word becomes your sword. But then is also the hardest part of weekends like this. Just you being here, whether you realize it or not, shows that you made a decision to stand in some area of your life, that you believe in God and what he can do. But will you choose to go all in to the process? Will you engage? We would much rather pray, God, just take this thing away. Just deliver me. Just move this thing out of the way. But I'm going to tell you something. You can't avoid the process. You can't avoid it. There will always be more. More ground to take, more people to save, more demons to fight, more love to give. You'll never be finished on this side of eternity. Then is when we find out if we're really planted. Because the wind and the waves are coming. But that's okay. Because then it's not about being delivered from. It's about going through. It's about standing your ground and not giving up an inch no matter what is going on. I remember the day that I stood for my future. I didn't know that's what I was doing. I was a single mom and I had been saved for almost two years and me and my dad are just having a phone conversation. I'm walking around my house and, and he's such a good dad and he loves me so much and I, I told him I was gonna tell his story so he didn't get mad at me. But, um, <laughs> but my husband, we were dating and he had just broke up with me and I thought, well, whatever. No, I'm just kidding, I'm kidding. I didn't think that at all. I love him so much now. I mean, we got married, obviously. But, but he had broken up with me, and me and my dad were on the phone, and my dad's just trying to give me a pep talk, and he's like, baby, those, those kids need a father, and God's going to da-da-da, and, and they really need a father. And I was kind of stepping from, from my dining room to my kitchen, and I just remember saying, Dad, if I'm single until Jesus comes back, that's okay with me. If God is who he says he is, then I'm going to be okay. Now, I didn't know what I was doing, but in that moment, I was standing for my future. Because I heard myself, and I was like, what? And I felt this resolve in my gut, and I said, oh, something just happened. Something just happened. I took a stand that day. That's when I began to experience maturity. Yeah. That's when I began to see God as he really was. Paul wrote that we would have to press to possess, and he was right. In Philippians 3, verses 15 and 16, he further writes, Let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. If you disagree on some point, I believe God will make it plain to you. 
but we must hold on to the progress we have already made. Then is when we experience maturity. Growth happens as we move from possessing to progressing, not giving up an inch of the ground we've gained in Christ. And the questions we'll all have to answer because we can't get away from them is, will we stand? Will we stand? Will we choose to believe the truth about God? Huh. And then will we commit to the process? Let me tell you something. You can't look around for somebody else to stand for your stuff. Stop waiting for your mama to stand for your family. You stand for your family. Stop. Stop waiting for your husband to stand for your marriage. Well, if he would just get his stuff together, no, you go on ahead and you stand for your marriage instead. You can do it. Colossians 1, 21 through 23. Ooh. At one time, you were separated from God. You were enemies in your minds because of your evil ways, but because Christ died, God has brought you back to himself. Christ's death has made you holy in God's sight. So now you don't have any flaw. You are free from blame. But, there's always a but. You must keep your faith steady and firm. You must not move away from the hope the good news holds out to you. When the battle wages, we should remind ourselves of who we are and go ahead and stand. Never letting go of the good news that got us here in the first place. I tell you, the good news is many things, but this is one of my favorite parts of the good news. God is with us. God is with, this is why I can stand firm. Not because Clarissa's so great and she has it all together. No, because God is with me. And if he's for me, I dare somebody to be against me. Because he's God over everything. Colossians 1 says everything bows to him. Everything. The things we can see, the things we can't see, everything. Authorities, rulers, powers, all those things you're afraid of. Guess what? Pastor Philip said it, and it's my favorite thing to say. Everything bows to him. This is why we can stand firm. No matter what is going on. So I say to you, as the priests of old, attention, North Point. In a few minutes, you're going to do battle with your enemies for your family, for your thought life, for your sanity, for your marriage, for your future. Don't waver and resolve, stand. Don't fear, stand. Don't hesitate, move forward. Don't panic, move forward. God, your God is right there with you, fighting with you against your enemies, fighting to win. He's got everything we need and he's standing with us. I don't know what you're standing for, but I'm standing for my peace. Yeah, he promised me I could have it. So when the enemy comes in and he says, did God really say you could have peace that passed all understanding? I can say, yes, he did. Yes, he did. And I will fight for it tooth and nail because you're not taking it from me. He, Jesus said, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives. It's not like Indian giving. No, I give it to you. You can have it. I'm standing on that word.
you're not moving me from it. I'm standing for my children. Both of my husband's children are away from the Lord right now. But I stand like Joshua. As for me and my house, oh yeah, we're going to serve the Lord. Yeah, that's where I'm standing. Did God really say you could stand for your whole family? Yeah, if Joshua could do it, Clarissa can do it. So I'm just going to do it. And nothing's going to move me. I won't move until I see them sitting over here. This is what I've imagined with both of their hands stretched high toward heaven, worshiping God. That's my goal. That's my then. I'm moving forward toward that thing. I'm standing for my city. Your city? That's big, Clarissa. Can we just stand for like a, a raise? No, I'm standing for my city. Because I read the book of Acts and I see men and women standing up and changing everything, going into one city and turning it upside down. If they can do it, I can do it. I'm standing for my city. And you're not going to move me. You're not going to move me. Would you stand with me? And so my question to you is, what are you standing for? What are you standing for? What have you been standing for that you need to just throw that thing out and get something new to stand for? Are you standing for your children? Are you standing for your marriage? Are you standing for your future? You can't put your, your finger on it, but there's a dream in you and it scares you half to death, but it's time. For you to take a stand for that dream. I'm going to ask my prayer leaders to go to the sides right now. Because we're going to have a time of prayer. This is what God dealt with me about. And I kept meditating on it and thinking, is this really the close? But I feel like God said, some people need to stand and agree. Not just stand, but stand and agree. See, we pray with people, but we don't necessarily get an agreement. Sometimes I do it. I pray with people, and then I walk away and go, oh, man, I wish God would just wait a minute. Hold up. Agree. Agree. Agree for your breakthrough. Agree for your healing. Agree for your family. Agree for your children. Agree for your dream. Nothing is impossible for God. Do you believe it? then you better stand. I'm going to pray for you. I was just telling our worship leader, Philip, just a second ago, I was, I was preparing and I was just worshiping the Lord and I was listening to a song that I love so much and, and the girl just breaks out and she says, sometimes you just have to sing your way into the truth. And God, that jumped all over me and I said, okay. Some of you need to stand and agree, but some of you need to sing your way into the truth. Some of you need to declare these words, and they're not just words anymore. Now they're really yours. You own them. They belong to you, and you sing to the God who can make it all happen, and who brought you here in the first place. Some of you need to sing your way into the truth. I don't know who you are, but I know you know what you need because the Holy Spirit is working in this room. Since the moment we stepped in here, he's been doing something. Some of you need to move to our prayer partners as soon as I start praying. Some of you need to move forward and just start worshiping like you've never worshiped before. I don't know what it is, but I know that God does, and he's speaking to you right now.